Welcome to New Cities Sermon Podcast. Join us as we root deep in God's Word, expecting to be encouraged, challenged, and formed to be more like Jesus together. Let's get into the scriptures now. We've been working our way through our summer series that we have entitled, I Believe. And if you've been around a little bit, you'll know that we've kind of used the Apostles' Creed as a launching point for that series. That series started all the way back in Easter. We have the, uh, the finish line ahead of us, right? We're coming to the end of July, and once we get there, we'll be done with this series. The finish line is in sight, uh, but three more, three more sermons. And tonight is, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. A few weeks ago, Knowing that he'll be out of town, Pastor John approached me and just said, hey, would you be able to fill in possibly while I'm out? And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. What would I be preaching on? And he said, well, you've got three options, right? We're going to have three weeks that it will be gone. So here are the three options. He sent out an email to the other guys that will be filling in over the next couple of weeks too. So I looked at the email and immediately I knew, like, this is the one I'm taking. Because in <laughs> the short-sightedness that I had at the moment, I thought, this is the easiest topic. I'm taking that one. And I'm going to jump on it before those other guys respond and take it. So I did. I'm like, I'll take that one. Boom, gone. And it reminded me a little bit about, I've been thinking about it. It reminded me of this old game show. Do you remember the old game show, Let's Make a Deal? I'm sure they've redone it, right? <clears throat> but when I was a kid, I saw the original. And all I can remember was a bunch of people all dressed up like it was Halloween. I don't understand why they were dressed up all in these costumes, but that's how it was. The audience is all dressed up. And then they would pick somebody out and they'd have these three doors in front of them, right? And uh, they would have to pick which door do you want? And there's prizes behind them. And, uh, you know, the audience is like, go for this one, go for that one. And the, and the host is kind of giving suggestions or whatever. They would pick a door. And then cheers when a great prize was revealed, a brand new car or a vacation or something. But then the boos and the jeers when it was like a barrel of bananas or something ridiculous. It was, there was always something like awful, like, oh, you got a paintbrush, way to go. Um, but <clears throat> it reminded me of that because I had these three options. But the, the benefit that I had was I knew the other two. You know, I saw the other two and I'm like, oh, I'm picking this one because this is certainly the easiest one. Now, the other guys I'm thinking were, were, were laughing, right, at me and going, he got the barrel of bananas, right? This is a hard, hard topic is what I'm getting at. The topic of forgiveness might be one of the hardest topics that we really deal with in our lives. And, uh, you know, it's so crazy that it's so hard because we recognize, each of us recognizes the freedom that we experience when free, uh, when forgiveness is granted to us, and even the forgiveness when we are the ones giving it, the, the, the guy that's forgiving the other person, they receive freedom, right? Both parties are recipients of this freedom, and they know it, we all know it, and yet at the same time, it's so hard to ask for it, and it's so hard to give it. Author Paul Tripp says it this way, he says, forgiveness is one of the most poorly practiced activities in the Christian community, if it is practiced at all. Yet the Bible talks about practicing forgiveness as though it were a daily thing. You know, our church um, speaks of seeking a greater worship of Jesus. We've got this humongous sign over here, seeking a greater worship of King Jesus. This is something that we remind each other all the time here. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be big things when you think about it. I often say it when we're talking about seeking a greater worship of Jesus, I think, gosh, this could just be the, the, the daily living out of our faith. Like, you know, I've got a hurting friend. 
go be with them, go support them through their pain and their suffering. Or maybe it's the boldness to share the gospel with a neighbor. Seeking a greater worship of Jesus could be as simple as just being with somebody who's lonely, who doesn't have anybody else to be in their life, or joining a body of believers to worship on a Sunday evening. All of these are examples of seeking a greater worship of Jesus, but I believe perhaps one of the most powerful ways is seeing a greater worship of Jesus is when we are, as a community, practicing forgiveness. When I was younger, I was not much of a reader. Uh, That changed later on in life. I do enjoy reading now, but when I was a kid, I hated it. I would do anything to get out of any work that I would have to do in school when it came to reading. Um, So I missed out on a lot, really. You know, you miss out on a lot of great literature and great stories. Um, But fortunately for me, a lot of those great stories turn into movies or television shows. So I love to be in front of the TV and I love to go to the movies. And uh, one of the great stories that I missed out on reading, but I saw uh, when I was a kid, was Victor Hugo's uh, Les Miserables. And now this has been turned into many, many different movies, right, over the years. But when I saw it, it was about early, mid-90s, and uh, this guy named Liam Neeson, you guys know the actor Liam Neeson, he played the main role of Jean Valjean in in this rendition of it. Um, And so it sounds like by your reactions that everybody's very familiar with this, uh, either the movies or the book, so I won't be spoiling too much. If I am, forgive me, still go see it, it's incredible. But um, Jean Valjean is a man who was in prison and escaped. And while he escaped, he found refuge in a bishop's home. And the bishop took him in, he fed him, he clothed him, he gave him shelter, all these things. But despite all that, Valjean stole from him. He would steal, and then as he left, busted. He got caught uh, as he left. And so here we have Jean Valjean being brought back to the bishop's house by the authorities. And you can only imagine, right? What is he thinking? I'm going back to prison, right? I was just taken in by this person. I violated the trust he gave in me. I stole from him. I got caught. I'm going back to prison. So he's taken back to the bishop's home. And what happens? Here's the authorities holding him. Here's this man who is just with you. Are these your items? Are these your silver pieces? I think it was like just cutlery, silver. And instead of the bishop saying, that's the man, take him away, give me my goods back, he says, he chastises Valjean and he says, what were you thinking? You left so quickly and you forgot to take all of the silver and he gives it all to him. And listen, I remember seeing that forgiveness granted and that love lavished upon him And even right now, as I'm describing it, I'm like, it's so powerful, right? When you are a recipient of grace, of forgiveness, when you don't deserve it, man, it is so powerful. It's overwhelming. The power of forgiveness is truly undeniable. And yet, we don't practice it very well. Perhaps, maybe because we don't fully understand it. Today, we're going to take a look at a passage and try to work our way through one what is forgiveness? Thinking about how, how is it defined? What is it? Secondly, the cost of forgiveness. And then finally, we'll take a look at like, how can we start practicing forgiveness? So those three things as we look at uh, our passage, which I think is going to be very familiar to you. It's a very popular verse, passage rather, in the Bible concerning forgiveness. 
Uh, if you have your Bibles, please take them out. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to look at verses 21 through 35. And uh, Matthew, as you're waking your way there, Matthew 18, everything from uh, verse 1 to 21, all about relationships, different relationships, different dynamics of relationships. And so it makes sense now that we're talking about forgiveness because forgiveness is all about the, the restoration of broken relationships. So again, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Starting in verse 21, it says, Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him, and said, pay what you owe. At this, the servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then, after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I gave you all that, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. The word of the Lord. And this evening, I want to take a look a little bit more at this passage that we just read and really let the Bible define what forgiveness is for us. Help us to understand what it is God says, this is what forgiveness looks like. And so in this passage, we read about this man who owes this tremendous amount of debt to another. And when that debt is called to be paid, that man owing the debt pleads. He pleads for more time. He pleads for his wife and, and for his family to be spared. And in this incredible act of mercy, the man who has owed the money forgives the debt. The man didn't actually respond to the request of the servant, right? You caught that? The servant says, give me more time and I'll pay this debt off. The master says, no, I'm going to take the note and I'm going to rip it up. I'm going to pay it off for you. The debt is forgiven. And so the nature of forgiveness is canceling a debt that is owed, right? So there's our definition. The nature of forgiveness is canceling a debt that is owed. When we think back to Jean Valjean. He stole from the bishop, but in doing so, he took more than just that silver, didn't he? I mean, he violated this man's trust, and he took away his security at the same time and perhaps many other things. I mean, you can think of these situations in your own life when an injustice has happened to you. You recognize, like, I just didn't have somebody break into my house, but now I have this fear, right? Something else has happened, and it just it branches out into all areas of your life that you couldn't even have imagined. And so 
there's a lot of things that are going on when somebody violates our trust, when an injustice happens to us. Justice for the bishop, right, would look fairly simple in the terms of I get my goods back and Valjean goes to jail, right? My goods are safe at home now, that's been restored, and a little bit of my security is now restored because Valjean is in jail and I don't have to worry about this guy anymore. But the, but the bishop forgives Valjean and he releases him of his debt he is owed and he gives him his freedom. The master in our parable does a similar thing, also forgives the servant of the, man, of, the, of the debt that he is owed and gives him his freedom. So we learn that when you choose to forgive, you are choosing to release other, another person or people from the debt that they owe us. But something else happens in that transaction. When the master forgave the money due, did the transaction, the original transaction, did it just disappear? No, of course not, right? The money was loaned out. Now the money is gone and never to be returned. It's not going to be repaid. And so what happens? The master forgives the, the man the debt, but he chooses to do another thing. He absorbs that loss himself, doesn't he? Now that might sound pretty difficult as you're perhaps thinking about your own situations and scenarios. To take on the own, that debt yourself, to uh, absorb that loss yourself, it's too hard, right? Too costly. It's not fair. It's not worth it. But what's our alternative? If we don't bear the burden, absorb the loss ourselves, if we won't forgive, what's our alternative? Where do we turn? What do we do? What happens if we decide, you know what? I'm going to keep this man indebted to us, indebted to me. What happens when our desire to make a person pay for what they've done outweighs our desire to forgive? Perhaps another way we could say it or ask the question is, what costs more for us, forgiveness or unforgiveness? No matter how we spend this thing, forgiveness is costly. We're seeing that clearly, right? You've experienced it, I'm sure, in your own life. It doesn't matter how small or how big the offense is either. If we're going to cancel a debt, take it on ourselves, it's going to hurt. In our parable, we see the cost of the forgiveness. We see this man have to chalk up the loss, right? He uh, brings his accountant in and they're like, well, how do we write this thing off? I've got this tremendous amount of uh, money just gone in the wind now. I'm taking the loss for myself. But in that same parable, we see the cost of unforgiveness because that servant then goes out and doesn't forgive. We see what it cost him in his unforgiveness. Let's go back and take a look at how he then responds to his fellow servant. His bitterness, his anger, his rage turns out and he grabs him and he starts choking him. And rather than forgiving him like he was, he throws him into prison until he pays the debt back. Man, it's shocking when we read that, right? When you slow down a little bit and read, here's a man who's been forgiven much. And in turn, he goes back and instead of forgiving, he holds that unforgiveness, right? And he forces this man into prison. But his reaction, his bitterness, his anger, the desire for justice, his way, it's often the way that we feel. It feels natural to make somebody else pay. Revenge feels warranted. And if we're going to be a, a little bit honest here, the idea of getting even sometimes feels pretty good, doesn't it? but it comes at a really steep cost. I've watched very close to me um, 
someone who refuses to grant forgiveness to others. Um, I've watched how that unforgiveness, that bitterness had acted uh, like a cancer, really, in this person's life. How it started off small, just, you know, small little offenses that wouldn't be forgiven. And then it began to spread and grow and take over the person's life. And to be honest with you today, I can't think of a person in, uh, I can't think of a family member in this person's life that there isn't bitterness and grudges held against them. I can't think of a, a friendship that has not been broken and destroyed because of the act of unforgiveness, choosing not to forgive for any reason. But it doesn't even stop there. The bitterness remains, but now it's joined by loneliness and depression, right? And uh, their life truly has crumbled under the weight, under the cost of being unwilling to forgive. Again, Paul Tripp says, holding on to an offense will make you a bitter and unloving person and you will inevitably damage all of your relationships. It's a true statement, one that I have unfortunately witnessed very close uh, to home. Earlier this week, a friend told me, you know what, I think of unforgiveness as like this big backpack on my back, just full of rocks that I'm carrying around. And I'm, I'm, I'm under this weight and this stress and this pain. And guess what? It's only affecting me. It's only hurting me. It's only damaging me. Forgiveness definitely comes with a very steep price tag. One more thing before we move off of this particular point. Um, this this desire to hold on to the bitterness, this desire to not forgive, um, it keeps us from being where God wants us to be. Uh, if I would ask any of us today, you know, who wants to know God's will for our lives? Who wants to be right in the center of God's will? Every one of us, I think, would say, yes, amen. Let's talk about that. I want to be where God is. I want to be in his will. And yet the Bible tells us clearly that the will of God for our lives is for us to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus but when we refuse to forgive others, we are doing like the exact opposite of turning our lives into one like Jesus. We are moving in the opposite direction of becoming more like Jesus. And so we begin to see that this refusal to forgive others doesn't just damage this relationship. It damages this relationship. When I refuse to forgive you, I'm damaging that relationship, but I'm also damaging the relationship with God. God takes this very seriously, right? In Matthew chapter 5 and Mark 11, he talks about the desire that we have when we come to worship him. He says, listen, you're going to come and worship. You're going to come and ask forgiveness for me. You're going to come and connect with me. But you know that you have a broken relationship that exists out there. Leave your gift at the altar. Go and fix that relationship and then come back to me. God takes unforgiveness very seriously. And the cost of unforgiveness, I believe, far outweighs the cost of forgiveness and bearing that yourself. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, I'm on board, right? I, who wants to carry that burden all by themselves? Who wants to have bitterness rule their life and destroy all of their relationships? Nobody, right? But I don't know where to go. Right? I don't know where to do it. I don't know how to move forward in forgiving. I'm not sure how to practice forgiveness. Well, if you're anything like me, you, you um, find yourself saying at times, I've forgiven that guy. I've forgiven a, that person in that situation. You know, we're all good. 
Everything's all good. And then somebody mentions that person's name and bitterness and anger start welling right back up like it was yesterday. And whether it was yesterday or 10 days ago or 10 years ago, right, it still starts to well back up and I have to deal with it, right? I would love for it to be a one and done sort of situation, but really the act of forgiveness is a process, right? I have a friend who... Um, who says, man, I really wish uh, there was this thing called like a poof theology. I was like, okay, tell me this. I've never heard. I went to seminary. I don't know what poof theology is. He said, you know, like it would be great if God was more like a fairy godmother and would pull out the wand and be like, poof, you're all done. Everything's fixed. But forgiveness doesn't work that way, right? Forgiveness doesn't work that way. It is a process. And so that anger comes up and you have to deal with it. That bitterness comes up and we have to deal with it. Um, in our text, Peter asked Jesus how many times he should forgive someone and then suggest maybe up to seven times. Now, if you've been around the Bible long enough, you've heard some people preach on this. Everybody gives Peter a hard time. Everybody's like, you know, Peter trying to be noble and grand gesture of saying seven times. I could forget what about seven times. And I'm thinking like, Peter, back it off a little bit, pal. What about three? Three's a good biblical number. Seven's a good biblical number, but three is a good biblical number also. Because the reality is I don't want to forgive two times. That second time I'm like, okay, strike three. I know that the math doesn't work, but that's how I am. Strike three. You for I forgave you once. Now I don't want to do it a second. I certainly want to do it a third. But Pete, oh, excuse me. But Peter says seven. I say three. And Jesus says, you guys don't get it, right? You guys don't get it. Forgiveness has no limits. There's no getting around Jesus' words here. Whether it's countless different sins that are being done against you or that same sin over and over and over again, we are called to forgive. And so we practice forgiveness each time that anger comes around. Each time we think of that person and that tinge of bitterness starts to rise up in our hearts, Lord, forgive me. Help me to forgive them. Lord, I need help now. I need to forgive them again. Take this bitterness away from me, Lord. Bless them, Lord. It's a process. Again, I would love for poof theology to exist, but we have to work out um, forgiveness on a daily basis. I got this far into the sermon as I was writing it, and my eyes started feeling heavy a little bit. I don't know if you're feeling heavy, thinking, oh my gosh, okay, we've talked about how finds forgiveness. We've looked at the reality that forgiveness will cost us something. And uh, we've also seen that it doesn't happen in a one and done type of situation, but it's a process that takes uh, us practicing forgiveness every single day. That's a lot of this is how it's done, right? A lot of instruction. But our parable, our passage, doesn't leave us there. It actually provides us hope. It provides us a promise. You look back on it with me and you find that the servant is forgiven a debt, right? It says the, the debt was 10,000 talents. Well, that's nice. I don't know what a talent is. You know, that doesn't mean much to me. So I had to do a little research this week. What's 10,000 talents? And uh, so I discovered that a single talent uh, is worth or the equivalent of 20 years wages as a laborer. One talent, 20 years wages, all right? So you can do the math with me. He's owed 10,000 talents, 200,000 years of working off his wages. Who can do that? 
It's a ridiculous amount of debt, right? It doesn't make sense, like doesn't compute, forget it, bankruptcy, I'm not gonna be able to pay off that debt. That's the point, right? He can't pay off that debt. The master in our parable is King Jesus, right? And the debt that you and I have to him can never be paid off. It's too big. The debt, of course, is our sin. And if we are honest with ourselves, the debt that we have to God, to King Jesus, when we compare it to that 200,000 years of wages, we're like, 200,000 years of wages is nothing compared to what I owe God here. But King Jesus, just like the master, held that note, right? The master held that note, ripped it up. You don't owe me. You're free. King Jesus took that note and he nailed it to the cross. Amen. (laughs) He took our note and nailed it to the cross. Our sin debt is forgiven. You know, Jesus came to absorb the cost of your sin through his death on the cross. Every act of forgiveness costs something. Jesus' act of forgiving us of our sin cost him his life, but he gave it willingly. He gave it willingly to restore the broken relationship that we had with God and so that we could then restore the broken relationships that we have with each other. He gave up his life willingly so that we could be free, free from the debt we would never be able to pay, free from the cost of bitterness and unforgiveness, and free to extend forgiveness to others. When Jean Valjean stood there in the clutches of the authorities expecting chains and confinement, but instead getting freedom and riches, it changed his life forever. He would go on and live an honorable life, a life giving instead of stealing, a life filled with mercy instead of vengeance. But that's exactly what you would expect, right? Right? When you are aware of the magnitude of the debt that is owed and then that debt forgiven, well, you can't help but go and provide that same sort of forgiveness to others. You can't help but go and tell people all about how you were forgiven. You would expect him to go out. You would expect a person to go out and honor the one who set them free, to speak of the forgiveness and extend it to others. Jesus once told a group of people that those who are forgiven much, love much. And the truth is, if we're honest, we look into our own hearts, we look into that mirror real hard and close, we will recognize that we have been, all of us have been forgiven much. And so my hope today as we think about forgiveness for those that maybe are thinking, I've never received the forgiveness that you're talking God provides. And my hope for you today is that you would receive it now. And why not right now? Why wait? Who else do you need to talk about with it? You feel the Holy Spirit. You feel that tinge of, I need forgiveness. It's simple. You ask God to forgive you. You accept the payment that he paid for you that his life was a sacrifice for you and he'll walk into your life and change it forever. Maybe you know God's forgiveness. My hope would be that today we'd be reminded of the depth and the cost of that forgiveness and we'll begin to experience, maybe brand new again, the freedom that's intended for each and every one that receives his forgiveness. And then we'll begin to practice forgiveness each and every day. Let's pray. Thank you for joining with us as we rooted deep in God's Word. If you found this sermon encouraging, share it with a friend. 
You can learn more about New City by going to newcityhh.com or checking us out on social media by searching New City HH. We'll see you next week. Thank you.